Before we begin today's show, it's Masters Week. I'm a huge golf fan, if you guys didn't know, and I can't wait to see what happens at Augusta over these next few days. One man who I know will be having his eye on it is ESPN's very own Scott Van Pelt. He's very close with Tiger Woods, and so on this week's episode of the SV Pod, he'll be talking about that and what he's most looking forward to in the tournament. The SV Pod. Download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, where you're listening to this podcast. And while you're there, please remember to leave the Hoop Collective a review. Hello and welcome to the Hoop Collective podcast. We talk about the NBA, which we are doing on Wednesday afternoon. Two Texas gentlemen uh, joining me this afternoon from Austin, Texas, Professor Kurt Goldsberry. What is up, Brian? How are you? I'm well, generally well. Um, joining us from Dallas, not Professor Timothy Ban McMahon. Yeah, but I bet you I went to college for longer than Kurt did. <laughs> well, long, there's something to be said for longevity. I don't know how many degrees he got. <laughs> um, Kirk, he went to school. He he was he was a, he was in school longer, but I don't think he attended school. Maybe <laughs> long, longer. Um, we have big stories in the NBA, like I think we're going to have uh, for the foreseeable future. Uh, let's start with the story that um, Tim McMahon dropped this morning with Woj. Um, McMahon, um, big trouble in Little Houston. Big well, Houston. I, I would say potential trouble in Houston, certainly rumblings in Houston. Um, look, the, there have not been trade requests made. Uh, the Rockets have no interest in, in stripping this thing down. You know, they, they want to keep this window open as long as possible. Um, th- you know, they recognize that that's going to take a full commitment. That means that Tillman Fertitta will need to pay the luxury tax for the first time. That means with a limited flexibility that they have uh, as a team already bumping up against a luxury tax. Just to be clear, say what your report was because oh, just in case people... were, Yeah, the report is that Russell Westbrook and James Harden are concerned about the direction of the franchise and, and, you know, what the future, really the immediate future uh, looks like. And I mean, let's be honest, those are common sense concerns. And it's not just that Mike D'Antoni left. It's not just that Daryl Morey left to take a gap week before, uh, <laughs> before he jumped that on was board. A, that was a beautiful little dig. I loved it. Yeah, Before loved he it. jumped on board with the 76ers. But, it's a roster that is, uh, it's an aging roster with limited flexibility, very, you know, very limited trade assets. It's it's difficult to see how the Rockets can become significantly better, and clearly, they have not been good enough to win a championship. So uh, it's understandable that James Harden and Russell Westbrook are concerned. Now, it would also, if you want to counterpoint that, you can say, well, James what exactly, how much flexibility did you anticipate when you were pushing to give up a million and six picks to get your buddy Russell Westbrook? But I can just tell you, like, star players generally don't think that way. Yeah. They well, they, 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 they deliver at the highest level, and they expect the front office to deliver and ownership to deliver at the highest level. Right. And so, again, there's not been trade requests made, um, but – it's probably a matter of at some point when instead of if, but I still, I still don't, I I still think any sort of stripping down is an after this season discussion, but 
you know, I don't know. I have not talked directly to uh, to those two guys. So, you know. Let me ask you this. I mean, you, um, as somebody who covers a team on a daily basis and who knows the um, the organization well, I would imagine, and I have not spoken to you about this, so and this is not, sometimes, sometimes on this podcast, I'll pull back the curtain. We know what each other are going to say because we've already talked about this. I don't know what McMahon's going to say here. I imagine that as the guy who covers this team a lot, that this was potentially a difficult story to write. Um, so I imagine you wrote it because you felt strongly about where this is. Well, and look, you obviously want to be fair. You want to be accurate. You want to put this, you want to put everything in, in the, in the proper context. And part of the, part of that context is James is concerned about the direction of the franchise every single off season because they have never accomplished their goal. You know, James was concerned about the direction of the franchise last off season. Well, they made a major change. They shipped Chris Paul and a bunch of picks out and went and got Russell Westbrook. You know, a couple of years before that, he was very concerned about the direction of the franchise. Well, they were able to manufacture a uh, a, a trade to get uh, to get Chris Paul. You know, we can go back to Dwight Howard, and so. You know, yes, Daryl Morey was the guy who was kind of the the chief of the front office during this time, but you can't criticize the Rockets for not being aggressive and trying to chase championships with James Harden. But again, we've talked about this before. It gets to a certain point where if this superstar partnership doesn't pay championship dividends and, you know, James is looking to pair with another guy, well, he's got to do it on their turf because – you know, it, it, there's nothing left to trade. Right. And look, I don't know exactly how much trade value Russell Westbrook has at his age with his game that obviously relies heavily on athleticism. And despite his durability for the vast majority of his career, you know, last year where he's had several operations on that right knee, you know, where, uh, fair not, you know, the, the most recent memory of Russ is he was a shell of himself in the playoffs when he rushed back from a quad injury. Now, you know, the the fair part is the guy got coronavirus. He wasn't able to stay in peak shape because of that, so on and so forth. But, um, you know, I just I, they, they sold low on Chris Paul. And in hindsight, you can criticize that um, right now. If you're trading Russell Westbrook, I feel like you're selling low, especially given what they gave up for him last offseason. So, Kirk, when you saw this report from McMahon, um, I'm going to be honest with you. I was talking with a GM last night. I, I knew McMahon was working on this story, and I was talking with a GM last night, and he made passing reference to, I wonder where James Harden's head is in Houston. And I remember I was thinking, I didn't know when McMahon was going to put this story together. And I remember I didn't say anything. But in the back of my head, I was like, well, hang loose. Keep an eye. Um this is already a discussion point out there. I mean, all that really matters is how James feels, but what was your uh, viewpoint when you saw this? My viewpoint was not surprised. I think anybody who's observed the the Houston Rockets for the last five or 10 years and saw them sort of rise up a, a, a championship contending team that took the Warriors to a game seven um, and is now watching them sort of struggle uh, with the rotation where all the key pieces are north of 30 years old with a new head coach, with a new general manager, it's understandable to be concerned. It's clear. As Tim said, this team has been close, but not quite good enough for years. And I don't think there's a there's a path where you can argue they're getting better. 
Uh, and then the context of the Western Conference, Brian, continues to just get stronger and stronger. We have Golden State, the Lakers, of course, the Clippers, Denver, Utah. For me, if I was James Harden, I'd be concerned too. I, I, I just can't see a path where if I'm used to getting to the conference semifinals, the conference finals, I just don't see a path where this team is going to get there in the near future. And I am 31 years old and I am squarely in my prime and I want a taste of that title. Uh, and I just don't see that happening in Houston. So if I put myself in his shoes, I'm very concerned with the direction of the franchise too. McMahon, do you think this is just sort of a, you know, so right now, if Austin Rivers picks up his player option, which I, I don't know what he'll do. No, he's not. Okay. But right. If he, so they're right at about where the tax is. They're right. They're, they're basically skating on the uh, line of the day. Essentially, the question for them going into free agency is do they spend all of the mid-level exception that they have available to them and hard cap themselves, or do they spend just enough not to be hard capped and leave some flexibility going into uh, the, the the trade deadline? That, I yeah, mean, I, I and, don't really, you know, so just to say what the rules are, if you, so there's two mid-levels, one for taxpayers, one for non-taxpayers. Um if you the full mid level is nine point seven million, and if you spend that full amount, actually, if you spend over five point seven, because that's the second one, right. you you trigger the hard cap, and you can only go a little bit into the tax. Well, it's it's a it's a few million into the tax. If you spend the lower one, you can go further into the tax. Which you you know, if you hard cap yourself, you really limit what you can do trade wise. Teams don't like hard right. capping themselves, right? Um, Unless it's for like a no-brainer maneuver. Well, and and so, you know, just to throw out hypotheticals, for example, I know that the Rockets have interest in Serge Ibaka. Serge Ibaka is kind of the pie-in-the-sky edition. I don't know if even, you know, I, I don't know what his price point would be, but let's just hypothetically say that he's available and he's willing to come to Houston for what they can pay him. I, I think that's a guy that they would hard cap themselves for. Um, you know, because he would give them your traditional rim protection. You know, he could he can roll. I don't know he, if they have space for that. Well, I hear you, but uh, I'm saying. I, I mean, like, like, so this this is the real issue. The issue is that they just got so much money. They're really only like six or seven million under the hard cap. Yeah. Now it's so, going to be so, it's so, going to so be a using, rough market. It's going to be a rough market for, for for free agents, and I would think Toronto could could step up and and block. But like I said, let's just. Let's just use that as an example of what I would consider an absolute best case move, uh, best case scenario for the Rockets, where you're getting Serge Ibaka, he can protect the rim, you know, he can rebound, he can still be a, uh, you know, give you that roll man effect. He can also space the floor if you want to play, you know, he, he can stand in the corner and shoot threes. Um, he, obviously, he has history with with, with Harden Westbrook in Oklahoma City. Best case scenario is that if you're if you're James and Russ, do you still if that happens, does that make you feel like man, hey, we're right there with the Lakers and and you know the other premier teams in the Western Conference? I don't know. So is this because they really haven't spent the full mid level last couple of off seasons? They've talked a lot about being willing to pay the luxury tax and spend the full mid level and not yet done it. So, but it wasn't like they didn't invest in the team, but they haven't right. paid the tax. And so, is this little bit of unsettling from Westbrook and, and Harden an attempt to send a message to the franchise? Uh, I think spend. 
I, I think certainly that's fair from Harden. And, you know, and, and, and again, I mean, the, the reality of the situation is it's probably, uh, James has said many times he wants to play the rest of his career in Houston, but if we're being realistic, that's probably not going to happen. Now, is it a year, another season? Is it two seasons? Is it three left on his deal, including the player option? You know, we'll see about all that. With Russ, I'm not so sure Russ loves the fit there. I'm, you know, I know, I know Russ has has mentioned to people with the Rockets that he he feels like he needs more freedom to play his oh, game. Look, he said he wanted to go. Yeah, I don't right. He said. I understand. I know. And so, also, it's like you go pair up with James Harden, like. What do you think? And I think the other thing is, you know, maybe even in Russ's mind, the the fresh memory is is the bubble and and you know the struggles there. But again, January until the season was halted, Russ played as as well as he's ever played in the NBA, including the MVP season that he had. So, so. Raphael Stone, the new general manager, gave an interview to the Houston Chronicle last week. And it's kind of well been well repeated. They said, we're still all in. We're still going. And to me, I felt like, you know, yes, he was speaking to the fans via the media, but I feel like right. he was speaking to James Harden. All right. Um, and when they had the introductory press Zoom press conference to, to uh, you know, to welcome Stephen Silas to Houston, that was the primary message. You know, and he said, you know, for eight years we've had our goal has been to win a championship because we had James Harden. We still have James Harden. Our, our goal is still to win a title and we're all in. And yeah, that's absolutely sounds to me like a, like a sales pitch to, to harden. And it's not even, it's, it's more saying, you know, hang with us, be patient. We're going for it. Let's, you know, let's see this thing through. I think everybody in Houston realizes that at some point, you know, they're, they're going to probably part ways, but I, I know the people in Houston don't want that point to be, Anytime within the next few years, they want to see see through James Harden's prime. Okay, so Kirk, let me go over some of so they, so they don't have much to trade. I don't think they can trade a first round pick, can they? I don't know what their trade assets are. If you look at the roster, Brian, uh, I don't think they have much flexibility in terms of trading or acquiring uh, any difference makers, as Tim said. Okay, so do, do you think he, Daniel he, House helped his trade value? In the I bubble? Mean, but again, let, let's just say some team wanted Daniel House badly. And so we got to have, he makes $3 million. It's very right. hard to, so let me and tell realistically, you. He's their most attractive trade asset. Okay. Cause uh, Westbrook, cause of his contract, Gordon, cause of his contract, a uh, Robert Covington would be easily traded, but then you got to get a player back who that's fits right. Robert Covington. And that's, uh, that's a hard fit. Right. So, and, and you wouldn't got Covington cause you thought he was a perfect fit as a compliment to those guys. I'm they, sorry. Realistically Harden's their best trade asset. I, mean, I think PJ Tucker is tradable, but to your point, Tim, like that's one of your best pieces. <laughs> so right. if you lose PJ in a nice deal and an expiring deal. And this is uh, one of the things that's happened over the last couple of years. Daryl Morey has done a great job of going to, I, I want to be kind here, but the scrap heap, you know, right. cast off some other teams, you know, Austin Rivers was a cast off. Yeah. Um, you know, Ben McLemore cast off. Uh, uh, who Gerald else? Gerald Green I mean, is a guy who, yeah, who's cast off. That's there, right. And I mean, there's just only so much you can do with that. So, all right, let me just tell you some of the free agents who I think they're only going to be able to spend the the, the $5.7 million. Right. Yep. I, I just think that's the only thing they're going to do. And, and I don't even know if they're going to do that. I mean, Raphael Stone said they're going to do it. But let me tell you some of the names that we're talking about here who I think they could get with that money. Aaron Baines, 
Mason Plumley, Nerlens Noel, yeah, Maurice Harkless, Jermichael Green, if he opts out, mm-hmm. maybe Markeith Morris, although he probably has higher aspirations. Uh, this is, by the way, this is uh, Bobby Mark's list. I want to give him credit, you know. Right. Uh, Jeff Teague. I don't know if you get Jeff Teague for that amount, but maybe. Uh, DJ Augustine, uh, Alec Burks, Justin Holiday, Wesley Matthews, if he opts out, I'm sure he will. I mean, are these the type of players that are going to turn the Rockets around, even if they do spend the money? Right. And th- and then I think the, the argument, if I am, you know, if I'm putting on my my little red rockets hat. I think the argument is, Hey, remember when Russ was healthy and, and really hooping? Like if you can, if, if we can get Russ and James both playing at peak form, you know, make a significant roster upgrade, make the roster more versatile with it. And say it's instead of Abaka, who's pie and sky, say it's Noel, who they did try to trade for at the deadline last year. Um, you did know, I say Noel? Noel? You, you did yeah. say Noel. Yeah. And, you know, maybe sign a quality, uh, minimum guy or two, you know, if, if, if you really want to pump some sunshine, I think you can squint hard enough for the sunshine to be pumped to convince yourself that, okay, this team does still have a, 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 a fighting chance, but the problem is you don't have to convince yourself the Homer you've got to convince James Harden. <laughs> you know? So I think I think here's the thing. Bottom line, Kirk, if you're the Houston Rockets, you have two all-star players on your team who are healthy, I, I think. I mean, neither one of them are coming off surgery. I mean, you know, any year that Wester Westbrook isn't coming off of surgery is a good year because it happens a lot. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, who are healthy and in their prime still. Westbrook, I think, is still close to his prime. He's 31. Yeah. And um, there, uh, he was, he and, was an, all-NBA, uh, an all-NBA selection last season. Right. Okay. You have those two guys. All right. That's a good thing. You know, you, you are a relevant uh, a team for that. So let's not lose sight of that. Mm-hmm. But uh, the clock is ticking. Like, that's the bottom line. And I just think eyes open since Chris Paul tweaked his hamstring, right. fell on the ground that night in, uh, it was in Golden State, right? Was it in Golden State? No, that was in Houston. That was in Houston. Houston. Yep, game fell, five. They're up three to two. Last minute of the game, he goes down. Fell into the line. Remember, he was laying in the, he was in the lane. Remember, yep. he was sitting down. Mm-hmm. Since that moment, they lost those two games. The next year, they weren't as good. The next year. And, and they couldn't close out the Warriors after Durant went down. Right. That was a, that was a that was a gut punch. Right. That was the night the Warriors celebrated as if they just won another title. Yes. And um <laughs> closest thing they had to a championship celebration that season. Uh people <laughs> I don't want to out guys. DeMarcus Cousins is one of them. I remember Cousins in my head, but I was standing outside the locker room as they were coming down and they were <laughs> screaming towards the Rockets locker room, which they couldn't hear. Yeah. But um expletives towards Chris Paul. <laughs> <laughs> and then later that night, um, James Harden pronouncing like at 1245 AM, I know what we need to do and walking away. And it was yeah. like, well, what was that James? And it turned out <laughs> getting Chris Paul out of there. There was a lot of cursing at Chris Paul that night. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Both teams. So that was the following year. And then last year, um, they get to the second round, but they're, you know, wiped by by the Lakers. Right, Russ is a shell of himself. Old, uh, there was a house call in the in the 
in the bubble. That... <laughs> yeah. And then their coach and general manager both leave with their own accord. They both like, I'm out of here. That's right. right. And, and D'Antoni might have been, you know, you can't fire me because I quit. But okay, Daryl, well, Daryl, without question, which you know you can argue. I mean, and and there's and there's been a lot of drama. The whole D'Antoni saga for the last year. You know, I mean, I wrote a a story last summer uh, just about how much drama there was in Houston. Some of that was hard on Chris Paul. Some of that was the D'Antoni situation. Well, even the Westbrook trade was drama. Yeah, the, the whole thing. But so I'm just saying, from the moment where Chris Paul collapsed in that lane till right. now, if you're looking at on a optimism line graph it's been headed downward and that's what i was going to say i like tim's exercise with his his red hat on um and i'll do the opposite i see i do want to specify that's a red rockets hat (laughs) hey that's it's a fair point especially down here in texas right exactly it's a uh it's a red hat i'll do the opposite the opposite of the rose colored glasses russell westbrook turns 32 years old tomorrow happy birthday russell his contract is monstrous um, if what we saw in the playoffs was a fair indication of what we're going to get going forward, and that's an if, but mm-hmm. the pessimist view is that's a terrible contract, arguably one of the worst in the league. This guy's not going to be a good piece, and he's and that contract's going to prevent you to from building uh, the team around you. And as we said, they got blown off the court by the eventual champions uh, in the bubble. They did not look like they belonged. Uh, and you're going to tell me essentially that same core with a new coach is going to come back and make some noise here. I'm not, I'm not buying it. By the way, after the Lakers are able to add a really nice piece with their mid-level because well, you know guys are going to line up to go And that LA. might be Serge Ibaka. So it might come down to somebody yeah. like Serge Ibaka choosing between these two destinations, Los Angeles or Houston, both nice cities. But one of them has LeBron James and, and the O'Brien Trophy sitting over there. And one of them doesn't. One of them has this uncertainty. And the last thing I'd say is... Yeah, but have you seen of- those beaches in Galveston? <laughs> I have. I have. And I've also seen them in Malibu. <laughs> yeah, uh, <but> right. <laughs> hey, listen. Uh, the last point I make, you guys brought up the drama. There sure as heck seems to be a lot more drama since the ownership changed there a couple of years ago. It seems like there's a pattern developing there. Well, um, And that's the <laughs> ultimate context. You know, I, I would say that um, perhaps there won't be as much drama moving forward because a lot of that drama swirled around the general manager, <laughs> the celebrity general manager. Mm. Um, but, you know, it's... Uh, well, it's a celebrity it, it, owner, too. It is. It is. Um, all right, The general so, manager did not have a CNBC weekly appearance. <laughs> yeah, but he had a Twitter account. <laughs> yes, he did. Still has one. Vivid Seats wants you to get to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket with Vivid Seat Rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code HOOP. That's code HOOP, H-O-O-P. Visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hitch, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's ever up there, whether it's the roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit DirecTV.com. 
www.sportsgamblinghelpline.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. All right, so let's transition to the next uh, giant topic right now, which is a story that Tim Bontemps and myself wrote about uh, Tuesday night. Uh, Chris Paul and the Phoenix Suns. Uh, guys, when I first heard about that, I mean, um, it had been speculated a little bit out there uh, by some by some NBA uh, journalists. I don't know if they had heard rumblings that it was legitimate and then they speculate and then they talked about it or whatever, because sometimes when, when you can't report something, um, you speculate about it. <laughs> uh, I don't, you know, Zach Lowe discussed it a little bit. I don't know if Zach had heard something, but when I first heard it, I was like, Hmm, I don't know about that. But the more I thought about it, it, it does kind of make sense. And so yesterday I was able to establish that it is legitimate that the that there have been discussions. And just like with the Paul George trade and the Russell Westbrook trade of the summer of 19, um, the, the star player is sort of sitting in the front seat of this, uh, you know, sort of driving a little bit. The, the Thunder are going to let Chris Paul be involved in his own trade. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the Thunder are shifting gears. Um, and I don't Clearly, think because they, they hired a head coach that had to Google. And by the way, the third link on the Google search was his LinkedIn account. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fact. Maybe not, maybe not now. This was like immediately after Woj's tweet. I'm sure now that he, you know, it's been pushed down, but at the time. <laughs> Uh, well, um, so Chris Paul knows he's the thunder will tell you that they, they do not feel compelled to trade Chris Paul, which I'm sure is sort of quasi true. Uh, but Chris Paul, I don't think is going to want to be there. So in a trade situation, it's sort of a triangle. Yeah. There has to be a deal with the thunder and the other team, but Chris Paul has to sort of green light wanting to go there. And so mm-hmm. This discussion with Phoenix is just as much about the Suns having discussions with Chris Paul as it is working on a trade. Um, it is my understanding that Chris has interest in Phoenix. Um, one, it's uh, it's close to his family in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some East East teams that are interested in him. New York, I think, has interest. Philadelphia has interest. Uh, I, I know that people with his connect- old friend Daryl Morey. Um, I believe there's been some cursory conversation between Philadelphia and Oklahoma City, but I don't I don't get the impression there's any traction there. And I do get the impression that Chris Paul is interested if he can't play for a championship contender, uh, which the Suns are not. um, I think he is interested in playing closer to home in L.A. And, you know, he does like to golf. (laughs) Probably he and doesn't Devin, like paying state income tax either. That I mean. would be a big difference between California and Arizona, especially for a man making $41 million. Um, so I do think there's interest. There, there is mutual interest between Chris Paul and the Suns. I, I feel I feel strongly in saying that. Um, he's represented by the same agency as Devin Booker. And Devin Booker would be involved in this without question. And so mm-hmm. that's a factor. So why would this by, by involved you mean on board not going back to oklahoma city just to be crystal yes clear. right right thank you for thank you for doing that i'll get aggregated so um why would the suns do this well i think it checks some boxes number one um they need a a veteran leader on that team i i, I think i i don't want to put down ricky rubio i i have immense respect for ricky rubio especially after watching him play in china and leading spain to the world cup i thought he was 
he and um, watching he and Marcus Saul lead that team, it was really. I mean, I know nobody watched it, but it was mm-hmm. it was cool. But he just doesn't have the vocal leadership of you know of Chris Paul. So the leadership level, plus you know, with all due respect, Ricky Ricky Rubio, Chris Paul is point god, right? I mean, he's right. He's an he's a second team All NBA. Uh, player. So it's an upgrade over Rubio and it's a leadership upgrade for the whole roster. Um, secondly, they have to send a message to Booker guys like mm-hmm. Booker. Like, I, I don't think he's, um, I think he's probably getting restless. I mean, he said he doesn't want to miss the playoffs. They haven't made the playoffs in 10 years. So, um, and, and they, and they would theoretically be able to do this trade without giving up in my view, their three most important pieces, which is Booker, Deandre Ayton, and Mikhail Bridges, who mm-hmm. really took a step forward last season and showed that he is going to be their small forward of the future. Um, if you can trade for, you know, and I know the contract is huge, but they're under the tax or they're under the cap. They could actually do this trade and stay comfortably under the tax and even under the cap. Um, so it doesn't hamst- it doesn't, you know, hamstring them. I do think there's a team like the Clippers who would have interest, but the, but I need like three whiteboards and an abacus to figure out how that trade would work. And probably another team. It, for sure. Um, so Kirk, um, I'm not saying it's definitely going to happen, but I think there's a, a feeling like it could happen. How do you feel about that fit? I love it, actually, thinking about it in a lot of the same ways you have. And and one thing you didn't mention is Monty Williams, who mm-hmm. coached Chris in New Orleans. Uh, they still have a lot of respect for each other. There's familiarity. I don't think it went that great, um, but, but I, I do th- think they respect each other. I do think they respect each other. I think if Chris looks back, now, maybe let me just say you saying you think you know Monty Williams very well. I think you have a good feel here. Hey. I, and I like both guys. And Chris is offensive efficiency in a can. You put him on a basketball court, you're going to have a good offense. And he's pretty good at defense. He's another guy who had a terrible contract a couple of years ago. And when he was banged up and you used the word hamstring, and I, I, I almost laughed because his hamstrings are, uh, are really problematic and have cost him some opportunities to really get over the top in his career. Um, but he, he had a healthy year last year and he changed his whole image. And now all of a sudden there's just two years left on this deal. And all of a sudden a team like Phoenix can be like, yeah, we can do that for two years. Yeah. He's uh, gone like, vegan. He's redone his, he, he's, <laughs> he's gone to a new trainer. Yeah. And, and I, uh, it's really helped him. I think, yeah, I think, you know, he played 70 games last year, looked pretty good in, in the bubble and um, all of, of 72, sudden, by the way, 70 of 72. Yeah. So that's nice. Uh, and as as you said, Brian, I think the biggest reason to do it is is the fit. They need a veteran leader. They could use a point guard. I love Rubio too, but he's no Chris Paul. And they have Aiton and Mikal Bridges. Those two off-ball threats with Chris Paul and Devin Booker, all of a sudden you got a good team. And this is a team that went 8-0 in the bubble too. So they could talk themselves into this really easily, and I'd be right there with them. Uh, I like it, and if Chris likes it, you know, Phoenix could push for the playoffs pretty easily next year. Well, and, and I think also you're talking about making a statement to Devin Booker, hey, we are serious about winning here. We're going to be aggressive. But also, um, and I'll be honest, I had major doubts about, uh, you know, Chris Paul as kind of a, a mentor. But how much did Gilgis Alexander and some of the other young guys on that OKC roster benefit from being uh, around CP3 last year? How much could Devin Booker, who is – I would say at this point, I think it's fair to say Devin Booker is kind of knocking on the door of superstardom. How much would he benefit 
from, you know, just seeing how CP3 goes about his business of, of, you know, having that competitive. He's certainly an all-encompassing leader. I mean, you saw it every day when he was in Houston, McMahon. I mean, he, right. and some he affects guys, everything that you do. Yeah, some guys it's going to rub the wrong way. You know, I don't think it got to a point with Blake Griffin where he was, he didn't want any more of that. And obviously, you know, Harden and, you know, the thing with Harden, who was the leader of whatever. But I, I could definitely see Booker benefiting significantly from playing with Chris Paul, not just on the floor, but in his development. Uh, as the face of the franchise, and you say, okay, well, does this make the Suns a legitimate contender? I, I don't think so in the Western Conference, they, but they would, haven't would been they, to the playoffs in one in, exactly. in one decade. Would they, they have a chance? To, yeah, would they have a chance to be a solid playoff team and and you know maybe even win around? Yeah, and boy, how good does that sound after the drought that they've had? Right. To me, the biggest question when you guys reported this was, does Chris Paul want that? Because mm-hmm. you know, as you said, if he doesn't want it. Then, then it's not happening, and you know, I, I guess the, the answer there is: Would there be a reasonable path to a contender? Whether that's Philly, you know, I don't know if Milwaukee has a has a shot. You know, back to the Clippers. Um, if there's not a reasonable a reasonable path to a team that would have serious championship aspirations right away, then hey, spending a couple of years in Phoenix wouldn't be so bad. Well, I would say that there are other teams interested. Like, I, I will repeat that. So this is not a one-way street. But I definitely think that Phoenix has Chris Paul's attention. Now, they have eight. Uh, this is Bobby Mark's data. They have $18 million. They can have as much as $18 million in projected cap room. That's if they say goodbye to Aaron Baines. They say they uh, pull the offer. They pull the qualifying offer to Dario Saric. They say goodbye to Frank uh uh, Kaminsky, he's got a team option and, and some other guys. Um, if they do this, if they are serious about this, um, what they could do here is they could come to an agreement on a Chris Paul trade, and that's probably going to include Kelly Oubre and Ricky Rubio. Now, the other parts of that trade are where the devil goes into the details. Does Oklahoma City say, hey, we're taking on a year of Rubio beyond Chris Paul's contract? Do you have to give us something for that? Do they say, hey, we're trading you an all-NBA player and these guys you're sending us are nice, but they're not all-stars? you have to give us something for that? Does Phoenix try to offload another contract in the deal? Um, you know, the Phoenix has the 10th pick. I don't think the 10th pick is going to be straight-up given, but does but does, um, does Oklahoma City try to swap out one of their other draft assets to move up in this draft or something like that? Um, that will be done if and when Chris Paul says, okay, I'd like to go to Phoenix. Um, but what you could do if you're the Suns and you're serious about this is you could get Chris Paul to say, okay, I'm going to be a son and agree to the contract and then or agree to the trade mm-hmm. and then don't do it. Right. And then use your cap space because this trade, um, you know, Ubre and, and Rubio, and you may have to add like one minimum contract. Uh, I haven't quite done the full math, but Rubio and Ubre for Chris Paul would increase uh, the Suns' payroll by about uh, ten or eleven million. So if you did that before you before you used your cap space, you would lose twelve million, ten or twelve million cap space. Do you think OKC can squeeze a pick? <laughs> well, this is what I'm saying. Like. OKC is very comfortable. It's like this is what this is the one thing about all the the assets that OKC was able to squeeze out of Houston and and, and LA right. last year. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like Paul George was was had four or five different places he could go, and they were fielding competing offers where the phone was ringing and pressing. He's like, "Well, I got three picks over here, two picks over here, I have a pick swap, blah blah." It's basically a closed bidding market, and yet 
Sam Presti was able to squeeze those out. Yeah, but what Sam Presti was able to do is trade Kawhi Leonard without ever having him in OKC. I agree, but he also made the deal the same. He took advantage of the situation with, yeah. with Westbrook, too. Yeah. So I'm guessing that especially if there is some pressure from Booker, because it's now public. And yep. let me just say that when I was reporting this out, I don't think any of the parties were happy this was public. Right. Um, but Devin Booker knew. <laughs> so so even if it never became public, Devin Booker was going to know. And I think if Devin Booker wants Chris Paul, which I think he does, there's going to be some pressure on Phoenix to close this deal. And so I think Oklahoma City is going to be aware of that just like Kawhi Leonard wanted Paul George. So it was pressure yep. on the Clippers. James Harden wanted Russell Westbrook. There was pressure on the Rockets. Here goes Sam Presti again. If he gets Devin Booker saying, I want Chris Paul, that could get interesting. But let's just talk about the Suns. So they they would have Chris Paul at point guard. They would have Devin Booker at two guard. They would have Mikhail Bridges at three. They would have DeAndre Ayton at five, and they would have $18 million and a whole small at uh, power forward. And Who potentially fits? the number 10 pick. And the number 10 pick. Now you can get serious before you do the trade. Hey, and, hey, hey Gallo, you want to come live in Phoenix with me after spending this last year in OKC? You could go after a guy. You could go after Serge Ibaka. You yeah. could. Uh, you, um, I don't. I don't think Jeremy Grant is leaving Denver. Right. But you could make a run for Jeremy Grant. And if you had Chris Paul, not that Chris Paul is going to be appealing to everybody, but I remember Chris Paul's first order of business in Houston was to close the deal with PJ Tucker, who was yeah. getting bigger offers elsewhere. If I'm not mistaken. Well, look, in a in a market where there's not a lot of cap space and a situation like and look, guys, the, the, the most underrated illness in the NBA is a Scottsdale flu. Guys like Phoenix, <laughs> um, you know, and like you it said, sounds the, like you've had the Scottsdale. Flu. <laughs> <laughs> I personally have not, but I'm certainly well aware of it. Uh huh. Um, and, you know, the, the nice place to live, the golf, all that. And that will be their a competitive new, uh, team. Their you, brand new practice facility is in uh, like Paradise Valley, very close to Scottsdale, by the way. Yeah, but no, that I, that absolutely, especially in this market where you know there's the teams with cap space are, are real rebuild type teams. Uh, I, you know, do you want to go? Now, do you want to go make now, eighteen mil in Phoenix, or do you want to take you know a proven contenders mid level? That's going to so, be a, so. Here's the thing. Like this is asking Robert, Sar like Robert Sarver could do this deal and still stay, you know, under the cap <laughs> and look like the conquering hero. I think that the key is, is he willing to go all in here? I mean, his version of all in. That sounds like a great question for Chris Paul to ask well, and get a firm answer on in advance. Now, now you're, now you're hitting the, the, the thing. So Phoenix could end up like, uh, I can see a path where Phoenix could field a very strong roster. Um, that makes them a, I would say, a a favorite to make the playoffs, which is not saying a small thing since they've missed it for a decade. Well, especially in the West. They could definitely make the playoffs. And I, I, I think the crowded part of the Western brackets at the top, and then there's some potential openings at the bottom. I think Golden State, the Lakers, the Clippers, and the Nuggets aren't going anywhere. But I think you're right, Brian. I think Chris Paul makes them immediately serious. Devin Booker, one of the best scorers on the in the, in the league. And then he's he's 25. He's entering his prime. Chris Paul played really well last year. And as you mentioned, Macal Bridges uh, and DeAndre Ayton, uh, whoever they get at 10 and potential another player. I'm taking that team seriously. I, I, I think if you if you put me to it right now, they're a borderline playoff team, seven, eight, nine, ten, somewhere in the Western Conference with that roster. 
and they energize their fan base, right. which is not, I mean, they energize that Devin Booker and they energize their fan base, which I'm not saying that energizing your fan base should be a priority for everybody, but for that market, um, that would be a priority. So the other thing is, and let's just connect these two topics. If you're James Harden, McMahon, mm-hmm. who loves Phoenix, uh, played ball there, played college ball there, and still has seen, a home, has a home out there. Yeah, sees his, his his old pal in quotes, Chris Paul, end up getting there and reviving that. I wonder what James Harden thinks about that. Um, but we'll see. I while I think that as Kirk said, there's a lot of alignment with Phoenix. I would. I'm not there in my head. I think it's, I was, I was on a Phoenix radio station today and they were pressing me. And I, I think I said like better than 50, 50. So I've sort of wow, okay. on the record is better than 50, 50, but it's certainly not like 90, 10. Uh, but I, I, I think there's some alignment there. Um, we'll see though, because again, it, 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 Sarver, I, I, knowing James Jones, who I covered a lot in, in Miami and Cleveland, James Jones and Chris Paul, think about the game the same way you know james jones was not as talented as chris um and towards the end of his career he kind of just became like a veteran leader didn't play that much but like the way he approached the game very similar to the way chris paul in fact and they know each other because they were in leadership and the players union together um so that i think that connection would be strong i think the real issue is um where's chris paul with sarver uh, I, I, again, I yeah. think my, there's an existing relationship with Devin Booker. There's an existing relationship with with uh, James Jones. There's an existing relationship with um, Monty. Uh, Monty Williams. Yeah. Can Chris Paul get comfortable with Sarver? And if that answer is yes, we'll see where things go. But um, guys, by the time this podcast posts, who knows what else um, will be bubbling out there. So um, getting into an exciting time here. All right. Thank you, Kirk. Thank you, McMahon. Uh, Really appreciate it. Appreciate everyone listening. Uh, Take care, and we'll talk to you soon. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call or click ranger.com or just stop by. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavily on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, Onyeho Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic liquor, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Hey, I don't usually have guests outside our um, NBA ESPN universe on this show. I like just to keep it to that. But I did make an an exception when I had an opportunity to have uh, Jim Gray on, uh, specifically because... I mean, he's got a new book out, which is why he's doing this interview you're about to hear. But uh, he has experienced some big-time major news-making interviews in uh, recent NBA history. And I have him tell the story of a couple of them here, and I thought you'd enjoy it. So hopefully you do. 
I remember talking to you when I was doing my book uh, two years ago, and you told me you were writing a book. So I know that this has been in the works for a while. And then the book is called Talking to Goats, the moments you remember and the stories you never heard. Um, this was a process, Jim, for you, probably. Oh, my God. Uh, you know, I really, I really had no idea what it took to to do this and i have tremendous respect for the writers in our profession the sports writers and so forth and i always have because you know they do all of the research all of the work we read we read everything that they do and then we come in and do the games based on everything that they've kept us up to speed with particularly before social media and that advent and greg bishop from sports illustrated wrote this book with me and he did it he did a great job i mean he was dedicated. He's a brilliant writer. Um, it took us almost three years, Brian. And, three uh, years. you know, there's tens of thousands of interviews and transcripts and tapes. And, you know, we did everything to make sure that we got it, you know, all right. Um, and, and, and to the best of our abilities. Um, and, 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 and it's just hard, you know, I just didn't know, Brian, I just had no idea. And so, you know, I'm happy with it. I'm glad we got it done. And, um, you know, <laughs> I know that feeling, you know, there's, there's a, a form of, of, of relief and proud and happy and, you know, and here we are. So, <laughs> um, you know, the feelings you, you live it every day. So the, the, the crazy thing about your career, in addition to its longevity is that you have, and it, I guess it's just because you've been around a lot of sports and a lot of things across the, the world for decades, but you have been at events and at moments where sort of crazy things happen. Um, and I, this is a basket. We, we talk about the NBA here and we're going to talk about the NBA interviews, but like you were there when Mike Tyson bit uh, Evander Holyfield's ear, for example, and you are very close to Mike Tyson and then did a very intense interview with him after that. Um, you were there at the malice for the, I'm just talking, you know, just, I'm, this is just a surface level. You were there for the malice at the palace that, that night where, you know, things, you know, changed dramatically. And, and it's, it's, it's just wild. And, and, you know, people will remember your interviews with like, um, Barry Bonds and Pete Rose and, 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 you know, it just goes on and on Ali. Um, but, it's just so crazy where you were at events where wild things happen. And, and one that I want to talk about, because when I, when I think of you, you know, I'm dating both of us. When I think of you as a, when I was a kid, I think of you on um, the uh, NBC, NBA and NBC broadcasts. But I also remember the baseball game in the playoffs in 93, where the news came out that Michael Jordan was going to retire. And you were broadcasting that night, the baseball, the baseball playoff game between the White Correct. Sox and the Blue Jays. And Jordan was at the game. The broadcasting that baseball game uh, on CBS uh, with uh, Greg Gumbel and Jim Cott. Uh, Pat O'Brien was there doing the pregame and a postgame. And uh, Michael Jordan threw out the first pitch uh, for the White Sox. And, you know, word came down shortly after the first pitch. Don't remember the exact timeline, but, you know, first few innings uh, or midway through the game uh, that Michael was going to retire. And nobody believed it. 
uh, and, and the whispers became a murmur. And then Dateline, I believe, NBC um, put it out on the air. But it wasn't going to all of the country. For some reason, it was just on, on the East Coast, not the West Coast. So their, their early version of Dateline said that reports were that, you know, they had information that Michael was going to retire. Um, so, but there was no Twitter. Nobody, I mean, if you, no, you were watching Dateline, nobody knew. Sports people didn't watch Dateline. Right. And, and, and NBC was the carrier of basketball, right? So, so you know, figured that they had some insight. Um, but we had heard murmurs and rumors, and then Dateline went with it. So, uh, I went up to the booth where Michael was sitting, and he was in the booth with uh, Eddie Einhorn, who was a, a part owner. And Jerry Reinsdorf, who was the owner of not only the Bulls, but the White Sox, the uh, managing general partner, controlling owner. And I had known Eddie because Eddie was a big television guy. You know, he was in the early days of one of the pioneers of sports television and, and you know, was a great guy. So they wouldn't let me into the, to the box where Michael was sitting, knocked and waited, and they wouldn't let us in. So I knocked on the guy's door next door. <laughs> and I said, could I come in for a moment? And I had all the CBS gear and the camera and the microphone and everything. And I said, sure. He probably knew who you were. He probably knew who you were. They were kind of, they, you know, they were really nice. And they thought, you know, maybe he just wants a drink or why was he in the box? Because you couldn't see from their box into Michael. Um, so I said, uh, no, no, thanks. I don't want to drink or anything. I said, can I just lean out of your box? And the owner of the box said, sure. So I went in there and I leaned over this box around the window and got Eddie's attention. And I said, Eddie, is it true that Michael's going to retire? Can you confirm this story? Is Michael Jordan going to retire tomorrow? So, so just real quick, you're leaning around. I'm leaning like, around. I'm leaning around like a glass partition over an overhang of a box that's in the second, you know, whatever the second level is, or whatever the level was there at that at, at, at the new Kaminsky Field, and uh, which was a new ballpark back then. It wasn't the old one? It was the new one. Uh, and, and <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> pardon me. When I got, <clears throat> when I got his attention, Brian, uh, he came over and I asked him that question and he, 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 he kind of nodded and I said, Eddie, this is important. I need to know. He said, yeah, it's true. And I'm <laughs> standing there with the microphone hanging out at his booth and there's a camera behind me. And I, uh, and I said, you're confirming that. I want to make sure I heard it. He said, yes, it's true. I said, Jerry. And I started screaming at Jerry, who was a couple of chairs down. Jerry, Eddie confirmed this. Is, is this true? And he nodded. And I said, will you come on camera? He said, there'll be a press conference tomorrow. I said, will you get Michael for me? And I could see Michael sitting in the back, you know, at, at the end. You know, he was, you know, he was out of camera view for television. Like, and there, there was like a little, there was like a little, uh, like a, a uh, mini service kitchen back there or whatever, you know, whatever it was. And he was kind of leaning on that counter and there were people around him. So I tried to scream and get his attention. And Eddie went back there and told him at, at which point Michael decided he was going to leave the game. So we went out and got him, you know, when he was coming out of the room, you know, asking him questions and everything. And didn't, you know, it wasn't going to get into it. But finally, as he got into the car, I, 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 said, I gave it one more shout. And, and he just, he just nodded and kind of, shrugged his shoulders, which was yes, but I'm not getting into it. Uh, and put it, put it, put it on the air. So we put it on the air and then lo and behold, next morning out at the Birdo center, uh, Michael retired. Okay. 
this is what I think is this this is Jim Gray. Um, and I've seen you work one one thousandth of your job, but I, I've seen you work. And this is where I mean, whatever anybody wants to say, uh, this this story, uh, maybe you don't think it defines your career, but I kind of do because you're here working at a playoff baseball game, which is not it's not a spring training game. <laughs> it's it's an important game. And you find something else and you go spring to it and you go to those lengths and then you and you got the story, Jim. You got the story. You were able to go on the air where there's there were millions of sports fans watching who didn't know about Dateline. And that's where I saw it. I was watching the game and that's where I saw Michael Jordan was going to retire. And this feels like this has happened to your career over and over. Um, ben Johnson getting suspended in the Seoul Olympics. Um, you ended up at the airport. Um, yes. Yeah. Uh, stuff like this. And, and yet, despite your doggedness in chasing these stories, you don't, maybe you have offended a lot of people, but you seem to still be able to have good relationships with these athletes. Like this interview that this famous interview you did with Mike Tyson after he bit, um, Holyfield dear Tyson gets mad at you and walks off. But yet Tyson, I saw his speech where he inducted you to the boxing hall of fame. He's crying, talking about his relationship with you. Um, you, you, you did, did many difficult interviews, you know, here with Jordan, you know, but you know, I think Jordan, you know, he respected you enough to give it to you. I, you had a great relationship with the late Kobe Bryant. Um, that's not been how I've, I, know, I, I feel like the modern athlete, if you impose on them, they tend to hold it against you. So how do you, how do you, how do you do it? You know, wh where do you get that from? Well, it's, you know, it is interesting. Uh, uh, we had more proximity back in those days. So we, we, we were, you know, in the locker room more, or we were on the field more, or we had more, you know, time to be able to interact, you know, and social media wasn't prevalent and there was no internet. So you could actually have a rapport and, you know, if, if, one could develop, you could develop a relationship. Um, so, you know, it's interesting you raised Mike Tyson uh, and, 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 and Mike and I were at the Boxing Hall of Fame and he was so nice enough to, to do that induction and, you know, was really a great honor for me. And somebody asked us at a round table, a similar question that, that you just did, you know, offended, you used the word offended. And somebody else said something along those lines about, talking to athletes. And, and I had never thought of this before, Brian, until, until that moment. I said, look, Mike Tyson just got hit 100 times in the head by Evander Holyfield or by Kevin McBride or by Lennox Lewis or by whoever he just fought. Tom Brady's been sacked four times by Michael Strahan, okay? He's been intercepted once and he threw four touchdowns. Um. Kobe Bryant just missed the basket at the end of the game, being beaten up. His feet hurt. His knee hurts. His Achilles is torn. And you're telling me that some question I ask them about their performance is offensive? You've got to be kidding me. That hurts them. But Evander Holyfield 100 times in the head didn't? So, so somehow what I say puts them in a position of being defensive? Or I have, I have found that to be true with me, and I don't. I'm not as hard as an interview as you, but I found that to be true. Yes, I mean okay. I have found that. But what I'm saying is, when that is the reception, and if that is what happens, and if the public 
takes it like that, or if the athlete takes it like that, you know, I'm not the opponent. We're asking what has gone on in the field of play. So if they can't handle that, they're certainly not going to be able to handle whoever was just in front of them with who they were competing. So, you know, Sam Donaldson wrote a book. He covered the White House and many presidents going back, you know, many years to Reagan and Carter and the Bushes and so forth. He said, there is no such thing as bad questions, only bad answers. And, you know, there's something interesting in that. So, yeah, you can ask a bad question or you might not, you know, phrase it the proper way or you might catch a guy at a bad moment or he's, he's antagonized by, by what you've said because his performance isn't what he wanted it to be. And that happens. But truly the great ones, the really great ones, the goats, there's really nothing you can say to them when you're on the air. They may walk away and mutter, but they really, you know, are able to diffuse it and handle it. At least that's what I've found, Brian. And if they take it and hold it against you, you know, that's okay. We all are in this business and, you know, we've all been turned down for interviews and they don't have to come on the air with us. They don't have elect to do it. And many of them sometimes now go through social media, Players Tribune, and there are many other avenues. So they, they have many different outlets now. And if they didn't want to do it back, you know, back then, they just said, no, not today or not this time or not again or whatever. And and all of that is okay. But I never, uh, as long as it was on the field of play or if they had done something off the field of play, of play that affected their performance, you know, it was fair game. And so you just had to kind of ask it. Yeah. I mean, so like, I remember your interview with Kobe, um, 2003 ish. Uh, I think it was before a preseason game, maybe about his relationship with Shaq. Correct. And Kobe essentially in that interview, um, and if you go back and look at it, which I did before, before this, but like it, it blows me away. Now this is my era, uh, Jim, because I started covering the NBA in 2003. I can't put myself in your shoes covering major league baseball in 1993, but I certainly can, uh, you know, um, I was covering the NBA then. And Kobe, gave an interview where he basically to you working for ESPN as a sideline reporter, uh, blasted Shaq, ripped him about his contract, ripped him about basically trying to bully him, etc. And like, it's mind blowing in 2020, Jim, because this, these, these interviews just don't happen now. They happen, you know, this, this stuff comes out as sources or, or, you know, you know, it doesn't come out. And like, you have like 50, of these types of interviews, 70, I don't know, but like that interview itself, like that, that to me is, I don't know where you, how we, whether you think it is, but I always remember that interview as being in a, one of the most amazing interviews Kobe ever gave. It was, it was incredible. And uh, it was all Kobe's doing. Kobe wanted to do it and he wanted this out there. He was the one that initiated it. He called and said, get ready. We're going to do this interview. So I called <laughs> ESPN and told him we were going to do this. And, and then we did it. And it's interesting, and I say it. I say it in talking to goats in the book, of Brian. I say, I say, I I said to Kobe. I said, Kobe, there's one thing you've said in here that we're editing out. I'm not. I can't put that on the air. And I said, and he said, why? I said, because if we say this, if you say this about Shaq, he will never speak to me again, and that will be. Forget about everything else that you've just said. That will be a bridge that you could never travel again. And so he agreed. And, but I printed it in the book. Uh, he said, the guy selling donuts at the 7-Eleven had more pride in his job. than Shaq. 
my God. <laughs> now, you know. They Shaq, were about to start a season together. <laughs> Shaq and I had a great relationship, and he got very upset with this interview because I called to give him a heads up. Okay. You know, Kobe, Kobe and I were very close, but I was not an anti-Shaq guy. Shaq and I had a terrific relationship, and we do to this day. Uh, I called him and gave him a heads up and see if he wanted to respond, and he didn't. He got mad at me, and for the next several years, he called me Trader Gray. Whenever he saw me, there's Trader Gray. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, we're all good now, and, you know, yeah. we have a lot of laughs and fun, and we look back well, on it. I just, I just, you know, the way you handle, um, you have an ability to ask a short question that can be uh, very uh, intense and and elicit a huge answer. And in that interview, you just said to to, 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 to Kobe, um, do you consider Shaq to be a leader? And the answer he gave was as cutting of an answer on the record as I've ever seen from a pro basketball player. He said, leaders don't beg for a contract extension and negotiate $30 million a year and per deal in the media when we have two Hall of Famers playing here pretty much for free. Um, and then he went on from there. But like, that's one of the... <laughs> Yeah. I just gotta tell you, I'm a little bit desensitized because I, I I I I'm involved in a thousand player interviews a year. That one sentence answer is as big of a hammer um of an answer to a question about a star. I mean, Jim, can you imagine today if you know Anthony Davis and LeBron <laughs> if if you went and interviewed LeBron before a game in, in October, the season had just started, and you said to LeBron, Do you think Anthony Davis is a leader? And he said, Well, he doesn't beg for a contract, you know. Extent. I mean, like this is you were able to get that from guys. And um, I think part of it is you're fearless. I mean, you have a uh, you have a, a good title uh talking to goats, but um I think uh you've shown to be, and you know, you've taken criticism like anybody, but you've shown this fearlessness when asking these questions. And it's been rewarding, I think, to get answers like that. Well, thank you, Brian. I appreciate that. I mean, you know, I, I've, I, you know, I, I've just tried to do the best I can for the people I work with and for, and to satisfy, you know, my own natural curiosity. And so, you know, it's just, I, I would think that most people at home want the same answers, right? They or they would ask, you know, similar questions. Maybe not in the same way or the same fashion, or they might have a different thought process. And and certainly, uh, you know, as you say, people people let us know all the time what they like and they don't like. And I just always thought, you know, whatever whatever it is that we're doing, that we that we have you know, we have an obligation and a responsibility to the people who are working with us on the broadcast. Okay. I never wanted to let Bob Costas down. Mm. I never want to let Marv Albert down. Mm -hmm. I never wanted to be that guy, uh, you know, that, 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 that Bryant Gumble or Greg Gumble, or, you know, said, we can't go to there because we're not going to get the information. So before we go, we have to talk about the decision. I think it's contractual. Um, <laughs> And uh, so I now I interviewed you for my book when um, my, my my book, LeBron Inc., but I wrote a lot about the decision. And I've it's obviously been a part of my life and I've written an ad nauseum. And you and I have talked about it a lot. And I'm, let me just say, uh, I'll just pretend you're not here right now. Um, when we did that interview, you were very kind to me 
to talk to me about it because I knew you were working on your book. <laughs> and um, so I would just say that um, the insight that you gave me for that, I, I very much appreciated because I knew that I was, you were, you were, you were doing something as, as a fake, more than just a favor, it was a, it was a professional favor. And so um, while everybody saw. Can I just stop you one second? Yeah. You work hard. You're diligent. And to everything that I observe, you're trying to get it right. So I, I appreciate that. And so that's why wouldn't I cooperate with that? I watch you on television all the time. And, 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 and I, I've seen you put in the work over the years before you were at ESPN. And so, so I, so I, so I, I wanted to cooperate because I have respect for you and I have respect for people in your position who try and, you know, have a great work ethic and try and do it right. I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, I appreciate that. I, um, but the, the story that fascinated me, I mean, everybody saw the broadcast, but the way that you got the broadcast, I think it's a very important lesson. I think it's a very important lesson to, to not only people in our industry, but it's an important lesson to just people um, in in any professional setting. So I want you to, if you wouldn't mind, tell the, and it doesn't even have to go into detail, but tell the story that you told me um, that I think I assume is in this book uh, about how you, how it happened. Cause it kind of happened kind of fast. And I, and I think it teaches a lesson. I was at a playoff game for the Lakers and I just, I just was there. I don't, I don't remember exactly what my function was that day. Probably something, you know, pregame. Anyway, I saw during the game in the first half that Maverick Carter was sitting uh, was sitting with Ari Emanuel. So I, and obviously uh, LeBron's going to be a free agent. So I went down there and I said, Hey, and spoke to him at halftime. And I just, I said to Maverick, I'd like to do the first interview with LeBron when he uh, uh, decides where he's going to go, when he picks his new team. And he said, Hey, I'll consider that. And he said, well, you know, you, did one of his first interviews, you know, back in high school, and he did his first game when when the Cavs played against the Cavaliers, and you were there when he was drafted, and and I kind of augmented that, and he said, you don't have to explain. We, we, we you no, know, I know the background, and he did, and uh, I said, in fact, we should just do a show, uh, uh, and have him announce it live on the air, and uh, Ari jumped in, and Ari Emanuel, uh, big powerful agent, William Morris Endeavor, IMG, and so forth. Um, and he jumped in and he said, that's a brilliant idea. And Maverick said, and we could give all the money to a charity. And Ari said it again. That's a great idea. Brilliant Maverick. And I said, okay, let's do it. And Maverick and they both just kind of shook their heads and said, okay. And then we just all stayed in touch there for the next, whatever it was. And it had a lot of twists and turns. But, you know, there was no grand plan or scheme or anything. I just saw them at the game and went down there and asked a question. And it ended but up. But see, the, the key to me in that story is that you weren't going to walk. You weren't going to walk. Because I think the way I perceive it is they liked the idea, but you weren't going to walk away without closing. <laughs> well, um, I close it right there at halftime. No, I know, but like the fact like, that they like the idea uh, enabled me to stay in touch with them and to further it. And you know, we initially, you know, I was uh, I initially thought it would be best to go to NBC, and so uh, um, 
we were going to go, you know, and, and talk to uh, Dick Ebersol and, and, and see what, uh, you know, see what he thought about it. Now that would have been a coup. For you. And, and <laughs> that would have been a coup. Put it on primetime. But Maverick came back before we, uh, I don't think Ari ever approached NBC, but Mari, uh, uh, Maverick came back and said to me and Ari, he said, you know, if we do this, we probably need to do this on one of the carriers that's indigenous to the to the NBA. So either TNT or ESPN and ABC. And uh, I think he first approached ABC and then uh, John Skipper jumped in and said he wanted it on ESPN. So I said, well, that's fine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wherever we wherever we can get it on the air, that's good. Okay. Perfect. Yeah, and I talked to John Skipper about it for the book. My my former boss at ESPN. He's not with ESPN anymore. And I will tell you that um, John Skipper was thrilled to get the call. Was thrilled about it then, and had no regrets. Uh, Ten years later, nine years later, whenever we did the interview, right. um, when you watch that, if you ever do, uh, when you watch the decision broadcast, we just had the tenth anniversary, and we did a whole bunch of stuff with it. And again, I don't need to go into ad nauseum here. But when you watch it back. Uh, if you have watched it back, what do you think of it? Well, I think there, I think there's a lot of levels of this, Brian. Um, and there's a, you know, there's a lot in that question. Um, I think that it was a groundbreaking show that it changed the trajectory of the, of the NBA <clears throat> and professional sports. Um, that it was the Kurt Flood moment, who was the highly revered uh, man who paved the way for free agency and for player empowerment a long time ago, okay? And this is essentially that moment what LeBron James did, okay? The formation of super teams and having self-determination and going where you want to go with the people you want to go with and I know there are other examples, and we deal with it in the book of uh, obviously other teams that had, you know, had a formation of guys getting together. But in this fashion, it had not been done, right? Not at that time. We now look every offseason. In some cases, we're more enamored and more interested in where Kevin Durant is going to play next year than he is finishing the championship of where he is that current year. All of this exists now because of the risks that LeBron was willing to take. All of this exists now and, and, and was the dawning, really, in many ways, of the proliferation of social media. Twitter was in its infancy. Now everybody communicates through Twitter, through Facebook, uh, and, and through the internet. They now have their own shows, their media. Uh, most of these guys now, uh, on that superstar level, the GOAT level, uh, communicate to the public you know, through their own channels. Uh, whether it's on YouTube or uh, uninterrupted or, or um, you know, Facebook, Tom versus Time. Um, so Steph Curry. So that was that it changed the whole paradigm. It, it really, in many ways, was the day. David Stern did not like the show. Um, <laughs> you could you're putting it mildly. <laughs> I love David Stern. David Stern was a loyal, honorable, wonderful friend. My wife worked for the NBA before David was commissioner and then for David as commissioner. And he was wonderful to her and he was wonderful to me. But he was not happy with this. Okay. He was not happy with this at all. I think he tried to talk ESPN out of it two or three times, like begged them. 
demanded, Correct. stomped, <clears throat> Correct. slammed, slammed and, his fist on the table. And part of the reason he didn't like it is it because in many ways, it was the day that he lost control of his league, at least for the players deciding what they were going to do, how they were going to do it, and when they were, when and why they were going to do it. So it was, it was, it was, you know, look, looking back in retrospect now, uh, it's, it's a much different program now than, it, than it was then. Could we have been more sensitive to the fans in Cleveland? Yes. Can I understand how they were hurt and felt about it? Absolutely. Could we have done better? Yes, absolutely. We could have done a lot better. Yeah, we, also one, gave away, we also gave away millions of dollars I, to I would say, girls yeah. clubs, and we didn't highlight that. I never mentioned it. I know, Jim. And I would say that in, you know, if I, if I gave my final analysis of it, I would say two things. One, I think that it, 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 it aged, has aged well, although people will debate me on that. I think the concept has aged well, as you just talked about. But um, I also think that one of the, if there was a mistake, it was, um, that the first thing right out of the gate was that was that was to have the check, uh, for the boys and girls club, which was like one or two. I don't remember how much it was. Two million. It was millions of dollars. You know, seven figure check, so that it it at least told everybody. But you know what? I don't want to relitigate it. I just um, it was a unique thing. Um, I think you got criticized probably for just asking so many questions. But I will say that in the initial design of it, they wanted to go to commercial first. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, so it was it was not as quote unquote delayed as it could have been. Um, well, but ESPN had promised that you know the decision would come at nine or nine oh five, but LeBron and I didn't even get the program until like nine twenty three. So people got upset with the number of questions that I asked, but I was only five or six minutes into it before I asked the question, LeBron, what's your decision? The problem with that was the people had already sat through 23 minutes, so they right. sat 29 minutes or 30 minutes before we got to the question. Yeah. So ESPN had made a promise, and 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 for that, repeatedly in his conversations with me, John Skipper has apologized for any ills of the program. He takes he takes the blame. Um, I don't know that he he should have done that publicly. Um, but he, he did that privately to me on, on numerous occasions. Yeah. So um, you, I think you've maintained that you did not know. Is that? That is correct. I did yeah, not. Right. Right. I didn't I mean, want to know, Brian. Yeah. I mean, I think you knew that he wasn't going back to Cleveland because this would seem like quite a, uh, quite an ordeal to say I'm resigning on a four year contract. <laughs> see you well, see next season. I really didn't know that until we were walking into into the Boys and Girls Club when when LeBron said, let him know. And I, that's when I had an inkling that, that you know what? <laughs> what are you letting them know? Who are you letting them know if you're staying? But I also felt that if I had the information, first of all, I don't want to make a mistake and blurt it out. Right. Either for the program or at the program. Second of all, let me just react like everybody else is reacting. I don't want to be alerted. Yeah, I want to. I want it to to be the same for the people who are receiving it at home and 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 at the boys and girls club. So i i didn't I didn't ask, and they didn't tell me. Well, it's a piece of history, and you've got a lot of pieces of history, and it's in this book. Um, 
and uh, it's called Talking to Goats, the moments you remember and the stories you've never heard. I believe it's coming out November 10th. Uh, I am getting the audio book because you were telling me before we started this that um, uh, not only do you read it yourself, but uh, Tom Brady reads the foreword that he wrote and Bob Costas reads the table of contents. And what else am I forgetting? Who's on this? Uh, Vin Scully. Vin Scully does the introduction and the closing. Uh, and uh, you mentioned Tom wrote the foreword. Tom Brady wrote the foreword and he reads the foreword. And uh, Carol Burnett, uh, my last, the last chapter in my book is, is uh, called, I'm not writing another book. And, uh, <laughs> and Carol Burnett uh, is, is, is the focus of the last page of the book. So Carol Burnett uh, was kind enough to uh, uh, come on and do part of the audio for the last part. And then for the acknowledgements, uh, Snoop Dogg. <laughs> Uh, wraps the acknowledgments and, and reads the acknowledgments. So, oh my God! I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, uh, those folks would come on and do this uh, right. for me, and really, uh, w- Tom Brady uh, to. Uh, well, I don't really know what's more. To be honest with you, as somebody who works in this field, I mean, I had Richard Jefferson write the uh, forward to my book, um, which was a pretty crazy. Uh, Dave McMenamin helped me with that, but uh, uh-huh. I don't know what's more impressive: getting Tom Brady to write the forward. Or getting Tom Brady to then sit down in the studio, I assume, and read the foreword. Uh, both uh, says a lot. Um, Jim, thanks for your time. Good luck with this project. I will see. I hope to see you back at a sporting event soon. It's always good to see you. Um, I appreciate it, and uh, good luck with everything. Brian, thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, I have tremendous respect and appreciate you. Good luck with everything. Look forward to seeing you on ESPN as we get ready for another NBA season. Can't wait. And thank you again for your kind words and and for taking the time. Thanks, Jim. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.